the book of Hebrews is um, the writer, an unknown writer that we don't know. The book was written prior to A.D. 70 because there's many references to the temple. So the temple in Israel was still standing. It was destroyed in A.D. 70 by Titus Vespasian. So as the writer is writing Hebrews, it's still standing and he's using it. The, the book is, is written to Hebrews, to Jewish folks that were believers in Jesus Christ, who were coming out of Judaism and coming to the grace of God. And they were very well versed in the Old Testament. Last week, if you look back, if you look down on the page, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, you will see so many quotes from the Old Testament. Almost the whole chapter, second half of chapter 1, all of parts of chapter 2 are quotes from the Old Testament. As the writer is taking them back to the Old Testament and showing Jesus through the Old Testament. And showing them that in their scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, it's all about Jesus. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Um, let, I, Brian, can we skip forward to the, um, the warning slide? There, there are some warnings that are given in the book of Hebrews, okay? So these are exhortations. The first, there's two here in chapter one. So it says number one, and, and as we get through Hebrew, we're going to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different um, warnings or exhortations out of the book of Hebrews. And the first one is here. Pay careful attention and pay careful attention to the evidence that God has given us. Listen, there's no blind faith in Christianity. Don't let anybody ever tell you, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you must have, you have to have blind faith. You just believe. No, there's evidence. There's facts. It's, it's a reality. There's science. We're not afraid of science. Okay. So, so the second one we're going to get today is do not drift. Hold on to courage and hope in chapter 3. Do not turn away from the living God in chapter 3. In chapter 4, hold firmly to the faith we profess. In chapter 6, go on to maturity and quit being a baby. In chapter 10, do not throw away your confidence. In chapter 10, also do not shrink back or go back. And then in 12, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the first one we get here today is to drift away. How many of you guys have ever been to the beach before? Okay, let's do this. Has anybody not ever been to the beach? Come on. Good. Okay. So you ever been in the water in the beach? We spent a lot of time at the beach growing up and uh, a lot of time in our, in our early years of marriage. Lydia and I living close. We'd vacation at the beach every year. And um, once or twice I'd get Lydia actually in the water at the beach. But I lived in the water. And, you know, you have your tent. You have your setup right, your umbrella, your chairs or whatever. And you go out in front of your chairs. And, and then pretty soon you look back and you think, somebody stole my chairs. Where's my umbrella? But you don't realize it, that you've been drifting with the current down the beach. You know, one time, I don't know, I felt like I was drifting a mile down the beach. And by the time I knew where I was, I had a long walk back to find camp. And, and so drifting is something in its essence that happens slowly, right? And, and it's something that is gradual. It's even something that can be unintentional. And, and, and listen, the Bible does not that... The Bible does not warn us against things that are not um, a reality in life. The Bible doesn't say 365 times, do not be afraid because we never have fear. The Bible reminds us because fear is a tendency that we have. So every one of these warnings in the book of Hebrews is something that we're going to face. And I will tell you, and I shared with you already about a man in our church who is drifting or has drifted. You know affairs. Affairs don't start in the bedroom. Men, affairs start with inappropriate conduct, with, with a female person at your work, an inappropriate touch, an inappropriate text. 
and it grows into something that ends up in the bedroom. But it, but it doesn't start there. It drifts there. And, and with lots of sins, with lots of bad choices, men and women that we make in life, we, we drift into those things. We start slowly by cheating on, on the books and the taxes, and eventually we get into some major extortion types of things or, or some illegal things. But we didn't jump from, from good to, to there. We drifted. And so in our Christian walk, and again, all of you guys, including myself, if we're being honest, we could say that, that we could see times, and we know when we drift. And that drift is a tendency that we have. And we're warned here not to drift, not to get out from the spout where the blessing comes out. Stay under the spout where the blessing comes out. Amen? And so we're not to drift. We're not to drift. We're not to drift. And then he says um, in verse 2, for the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. Now, something we, we don't get in the Old Testament, but we learn a fact in the New Testament. And the Bible says that somehow the angels were part in delivering the law to Moses. So God used the angels in the delivering of the law. Now, the Ten Commandments, we know the finger of God wrote those by his own hand. And that God communicated the law to Moses on, on, on Mount Sinai. But the New Testament here tells us that, that angels were a part of the process. So angels were um, helping in bringing and delivering the, the, the law of Moses. And he said, so if angels delivered the law and how important the law was to you Hebrews, how much more is the word that comes from Jesus and that Jesus, God himself, brings the word, the New Testament. We, we read that last week in former days. God spoke through the prophets, but these later days has spoken to us through his son. And then he says, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Now listen, we had this reminder. How many of you guys were here a couple weeks ago when we studied the book of Jude? Okay, listen, this is what, was a reminder. But I want to remind you, this I'm reading Jude chapter verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Now, if you were here for this study, what we pointed out was a, a, a succession of warnings in Jude where God says, listen, people, if I dealt with the sin of these people, I'm not going to wink at your sin. And, and, and here's what happens when we drift, when we fade. And, and I've had, I hear it all the time. I do it in my own heart. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty. I'm just, I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next person where I start to make compromise over the decisions that I make. And in the beginning, it, it probably was, was hurtful, and I, and I realized how bad and sinful it was. But as, if I continue to drift and I continue to, 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 to do the same sin, I, I start to justify it in my mind. And the tenth time and the tenth month and the tenth week that I've been involved in this thing, it's a lot easier, and I've drifted, and I've, I've compromised, and, I've, and, and I could get to the point. We can get to the point, and, and I've seen people get to the point where they say God approves of it. God, God slack, God, God, God's not mad at me for it. It's okay. God understands. The little old boy upstairs, him and I, we're tight. They, we got it like this. And God is okay. I had a guy tell me one time, he smoked. Which, again, smoking won't send you to hell. It'll make you, you know, smell like you've been there. <laughs> Somebody ever ask you if, if smoking will send you to hell, tell them, no, actually, it'll probably send you to heaven a little faster. <laughs> so it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a, you know, a black and white sin listed in the Bible. It's something between you and the Lord. If God puts conviction on your heart over that area, then cut it out. 
and God will speak to you on it. And it's probably not a good witness as a Christian, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not a damning sin. And, and, but I had this guy who was, who was telling me, and he wanted to, he was a Christian, and he smoked, and he wanted to be okay with it. He said, listen, if Jesus was here, Jesus was, you know, hung out with tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus would have smoked Marlboros. I'm like, that is such a stretch. That is justifying your sin to feel better about yourself. Justifying your decision, and, and that's what happens in the drift. And now Jude, he goes on and he says, um, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Do you remember we studied that, the Benaiah Elohim out of Genesis chapter 6 and that crazy story? And he's going to say, but left their own abode, has re- reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth and as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries, and God is going to deal with them. God dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah very swiftly. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah rained down sulfur. God rained down sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them. Because, and their sin was pride, and their sin was sexual, abhorrent sexual behavior. Anything went. And, and it was the entire um, alphabet soup thing going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God dealt with them, and God dealt with their sin. You know, I saw this, I, I saw a bunch of them kind of put together. It kind of brought me to why, you know, this has been heavy on my heart this week and why I think I need to share a couple things about it. What the, the first one was, I, I saw a pastor, a man, a Christian guy, and he went to the, one of the pride parades last week. And there was a woman there, and she was in a, 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 a collar. She, she looked like clergy, so she had the white collar on, and she was all dressed up. And he approached her. And he said to her, are you a pastor? And she said, yes, I'm a pastor. And he said, are you, um, are you affirming? And she said, I am practicing and affirming. And he said, and you're a pastor? And she said, yes. And he said, um, are, are you, um, what did he say to her? He said, are, oh, he said, are you born again? And she said, I am an ordained, licensed minister with the Lutheran Church. Now, she, she, didn't, she didn't answer the question. She, she, she evaded, and, and she said, yes, I'm affirming, and I'm practicing, and I'm an ordained, licensed minister. And she couldn't answer the question of not whether she was born again. And he said, well, as a pastor, he, she said, he said, what do you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9? And she said, I'm not going to debate with you about the Bible. And listen, it, it just broke my heart. It broke my heart because in the same week, you know, we, we are losing our ever-living minds. And the evil is, is, is upon us that was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And listen, as a church, we have to stand for what is true. We have to be a light in, in the world. The Bible, the verse that he, that he brought out to her in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 9, this is what it says. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, 
If, if you're affirming, if we're affirming anybody in that list, and now, yeah, we, we maybe put a little onus and pressure on the, because it's in our face, the LGBTQ plus thing that's going on, Pride Week, but that list includes thieves, covetousness, murderers, idolaters, having false gods. So it's, it's an all-inclusive list that, that includes homosexuality, sodomites, um, abhorrent sexual behavior. Any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is described in the Bible as sinful. It's only one. God's not against sex. He just has parameters for a reason that, that we're supposed to keep it in the confines of. And then I saw a clip this week from the parade in L.A. last week, and the crowd was huge. And this was the chant. How many of you guys saw it? We're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. That's what they were chanting on the streets of L.A. last week. We're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. So there's an agenda. Do you, do you know that, that the enemy has been super successful in the last 10 years with this agenda? You know, it, it used to be, this, the statistics were that about 3% of the United States population identified as LGBTQ+. Okay? Now, with the older generation, that number hasn't changed much. But here's the way that the numbers read today. Anybody, and, and I'm making some of this up to some degree. I don't have exact science on it, but I, I you know, you, you can somewhat quote me on the idea. It's true. So anybody between 35 and 60, it's still within that, that 3% range. And then you get 35 to 25, and now instead of being 3%, that number is like 9% of, of 25s to 35s. And then, and then like 12 years old to 25, the number's like 17%. We, we have a, a, a young man who goes to school in Portland, Oregon. And now, I, I could have never seen this coming. I could have never, I, some of the things in the future, I could see some evil coming, I could guess them. This one, beyond me. He goes to school in Portland, Oregon. He's the outcast and gets, gets picked on and bullied because he's not gay. Can you imagine? If, if, you, if you're not gay or you're not for it or you, or you, or you, don't, or you believe abortion is wrong, then you're the outcast. In Portland, Oregon. Listen, we have to call out the madness when it's madness, right? Target, Target comes out a couple weeks ago. Well, first it was Bud Light, right? With putting the trans on the can in the United States. And, you know, so many people in the United States said, hey, we're not for that. And, and, and Bud Light lost, what was it? Billions, five, seven billion dollars in revenue in the next three weeks. Hey, but why, why then did other, did other companies follow right down the same path, knowing that Bud Light just lost 5 to $7 billion in revenue in a three-week span, then why right after that does Target come out and, um, with, with a trans display in the front of all their stores, and they took a $5 billion hit in revenue for the same thing? Then halfway through it, $9 billion, somebody said. I don't know what those are. It's close, right? It's a, it's a big, huge hit from revenue sales. Then they took the displays from the front, which were, um, they were, tuck-friendly bathing suits. For their women's bathing suits that were tuck-friendly. And they were designed by an overt Satanist who, who hates Christians and has said the most blasphemous things towards Christians in the church and has designed this gear praising and worshiping Satan and Target is displaying it in their stores. And then when there was backlash, they, they said, okay, we're going to move it to the back of the store. Is that a victory? They, and, and then, the, and then the, the trans community got mad because they moved it to the back of the store. Now, they, now we're upset and they're upset and everybody's upset and Target loses. But listen, there, there, there is 
There's a big picture that's happening in the United States. There's a group that backs Target and some of these companies, their shareholders, the big, the big bucks, um, including George Soros and his, his backers, and their, their budget is in the trillions of dollars. And they, they, have a, they have a social score, Target and these other big businesses do, where this company uses to rate their, their companies that they invest in based on their social score. So, so, so Target is willing to lose $9 billion in revenue to make a stance to increase their, um, their social score with these groups that are, that are trillion-dollar investors that will back them. And at the end of the day, they won't lose money because they're willing to lose a little bit of money so that they can push forward an agenda. Do you think Target went woke when they put um, tuck-friendly bathing suits in the front of their store a couple weeks ago? Target went woke a long time ago. Target was the first one who was allowing men in the women's restrooms. And, and, and that was the first shock, right? And now we get over that shock, and then they come with this next thing. You ever heard of an Overton window? I want to get you to here, but there's no way I'm going to get you from here to here. Because you, you will never buy that. You'll never have that. But if I can get you from here to here with a smaller adjustment, and then I can get you from here to here and here to here, eventually I can get you over here. And those are these Overton windows. Now listen, as a church, what do we do? Listen, that woman, that pastor who's affirming her, her community and these folks and telling them that, that, that you're okay, that your sin is okay, your lifestyle is okay, and God loves you, and those people die and, and they go to hell because they, they don't have the blood of Christ, they don't have the forgiveness of sin. You're, you're not a licensed, ordained minister of the Lutheran church, lady. I'm sorry to tell you, you're a licensed, ordained minister of Satan, and you're leading people to hell. And, and you're paving the way for them. The Bible says over that woman's life, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were tossed into the deepest ocean than for you to lead one of these little ones astray. Listen, listen, church. And this is hard for some of us to understand because this is what I understand. This is what happens to me every time I have a talk like this. One of you are going to come up to me and you're going to say, I have a dear cousin. I have a sister. I have a brother. And they're in the LGBTQ plus community. Are you telling me that they're going to go to hell? And, and, and it's hard. It's hard because it's hard you love them, and you, and you want to love them, and we want you to love them. That's, that's not the point. But listen, whether it's part of the LGBTQ plus community or whether they're a covetousness person or adulterer or anything outside of Christ, it's the same fate. It has nothing to do with love. Telling people the truth because we love them is, is love and finding a way to show love. And here's what the world does. This is what they're doing to us. We can't let it happen. They're telling you, they're telling me, they're telling the world that Christians hate us, that we're full of hate. Listen, we don't hate anybody. And they can lie all they want. It shouldn't change our resolve. And we shouldn't fold or cave because, oh, we don't want to be labeled as haters. We're not haters. To tell the truth is love. To encourage people, to tell people the love of Christ. And then, and then again, I don't care what your sin is. That just happens to be one of them. In any, any sin, any, any unbelief, whether from atheism to blatant sin, it's, it's still the same. We need Jesus. And we need to share the love of Jesus. We have to be the light. And listen, it's not ever, 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 ever our position to affirm anybody's sin. Or to lovingly, compassionately tell them Jesus loves them. And he died for them. And, 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 and y y you know what's tragic? I saw this on C-SPAN. And there was something on C-SPAN. I think it was Ted, Ted Cruz was in the, in the panel. 
and, and they were talking about the suicide rate among the trans community. And this woman said that the suicide rate in the trans community is one in five. That's astronomically high for any people group. One in five are committing suicide. They say 70% of those that have transitioned try to, try to retransition back at some point in life because they're so miserable. They were empty when they started and they were lied to and they were told if you go through this kind of transition that you're going to find what you're looking for on the other side, acceptance and joy and love. But Ephesians chapter 1 says you're already accepted, you're already loved, you're already adopted, you're already adored in Christ. And they get to the other side and, and what do they find on the other side when they've transitioned? More emptiness. And they're either committing suicide or wanting to transition and, and it's a miserable and, and, and in this C-SPAN deal, one of the, I think it was Ted Cruz, and the woman said, you know why one in five trans people are committing suicide? It's because of bigots like you. It's because of conservatives like you and the opinion that you have that, that is causing this, this suicide rate. And again, it's just a lie. It's just a lie. No, maybe it's because of the, of the emptiness that you're feeding them, the lies that you're feeding them, that they're going to find joy in this lifestyle, and they're finding out there is no joy in that lifestyle. There's only joy in Jesus. There's only joy in the truth. And, and we can, listen, we can find a way to be loving and tell the truth. Amen? And we have to stand for what's right. The Bible says of you as a Christian, you've got you, you to be a light in the world. Right? And listen, with our church here, we, we want to be a battleship. I want every one of you to have a station of battle. We're not a cruise ship. And again, I, I, and I don't mean this to be you know, needlessly offensive to anybody. I really don't. There, there are places where you can go and sit on a cruise ship called church. Lots of places. And that's never our intention here. We want to be a battleship. And on a battleship, every station, every seat you sit in right now has a gun that needs to be manned. It has a work. It has a, a ministry. It has a station that, that where we're doing battle. And at the end of the day, you know, I struggled with sharing this message because I, I honestly, I don't know what to tell us. What do we do? I, that's that's the, the answer I couldn't really, question I couldn't really answer for myself. What do I do? Like, I don't really encounter personally that community to be able to interact with them and share. I would love to. I used to work a job in the world here in Tooele, and, and, and I had some opportunities to do that, and I, and I tried to do my best to be loving and to be honest and to spend time and to really pour in. I had a guy on the, on the dock. I was working in Walmart at the, at the D.C., good friend of mine. I see him in town today and give him a hug when I see him. And, 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 you know, he asked me one time, he said, you know, you knew him, we were friends. And, and I really just made a point to, to, to try to overcome the, the stereotype that as a Christian, as a pastor, that I hate him because of the lifestyle's choices that he was making. So I spent time with him. And we, we you know, hang out at the lunch tables from time to time. And we, we worked on the same dock, so we had to interact together. And he said to me one time, he said, Pastor Chris, he said, um, is your church like one of those, like, affirming churches? And I said, brother, heck no. And again, I lovingly just told him what the Bible says, you know, and, and, and the reality is, he, you know, we, we were friends, and I told him the truth, and it was cool, and I, but I said, no, man, that's not what the Bible teaches. You need Jesus, bro, and there'll maybe come a time, and he wasn't ready then, but maybe there'll come a time, and he'll feel, and feel that emptiness, and he'll fill a, a void in the love of Jesus. We got to be the light. We got to be a light. We got to stand for what's true. If they're here, and they're queer, and they're coming for your children, we got to fight back. Anybody going to give them your children? No. And you know what? I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answer is. I think here in Tooele we have um, things a little bit slower and, and not as progressive. It's not like Portland, right? And, but, you know, maybe there's coming a day when, you know, as Christian families, public school is going to be tough. 
My daughter, she's seven years old. She just turned seven yesterday. Six years old, first grade, Sterling Elementary. About halfway through the school year, she comes home. And she says, she says Dad, a good friend of hers, a little, little girlfriend she runs around with at school. She says, my, my girlfriend has a brother, but we're supposed to call her sister. And she said, that's weird, huh, Daddy? And I didn't get into anything with her. I, didn't, I just said, yeah, Gabriel, that's, that's a little strange. But she's in first grade, and she's, have, she's being faced with these things. I remember even the boys going through um, junior high and elementary here in Twilla and having, you know, dealing with it in elementary school. And so I don't have all the answers, but I, I do know that we as a church, listen, we got to be a light. We got to stand for what's true. We do, gotta, we do have to love. And we, and we can't, can't let the world tell us that, that, that affirming is loving. Listen, I, I have to tell you the truth. Affirming is not loving. There's a way to love without affirming. Like my friend on the dock, I loved him but I didn't affirm his sin. And I told him the truth. And I told him and I tried my best to share the love of Christ with him and I built a relationship with him and I guarantee you, if God does, if the Holy Spirit does start to work on his heart, one day he's gonna walk through the doors of this church because we built a relationship up enough and he trusts me. And, and nothing that I'm gonna do, but apart from me, the Holy Spirit begins to work on his heart and life and God calls him, he's gonna know there's a safe place to come to. And so let's be the light, amen? Let's be the church. And let's stand for what's right. We're not affirming anybody. That's, that's super clear, right? Like this is not our place in, in the gospel. Because the Bible says if you do that, you're a minister of Satan, you're a minister of hell, and we're leading people astray. Amen? All right. Um, it's hard to leave this message. <laughs> it's like got to cover everything, but we're out of time. So let's do this. Let's have the worship team come up. We have a song? Yeah, we have a close song. Let's have the worship team come up. And, and we'll close. Let me recommend something. There's a, um, there's a book that just came out by one of really, really um, well-known, kind of um, accomplished Christian um, writer. His name is Eric Metaxas. Eric Metaxas wrote a 1,200-page um, autobiography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. One of the greatest Christian books ever out there. There's two of them. The one that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote himself on the cost of discipleship. And it just helps us understand that as Christ followers, that there's a cost of discipleship, that, that we, we have signed up to be a part of a team, to do work, and, and, and to serve the Lord, and good works included. And then, and then the other book is the, the Life. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, was, a, was a leader, he was a pastor, he was a theologian in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. And, and in this book, you guys, can, you guys can get a copy, get it on. Um, I'm going to recommend that we, we go through, we read this book as a church. It's called Letters to the Church. Write it down, Letters to the Church by Eric Metaxas. Get it on audio, get it, and I want us to read it. And it's an encouragement that as a church, in the days that we live in today, we have to stand for truth. And one of the things that, he, that Eric Metaxas points out in this book, that in Germany, there were 3,000 churches that were Hitlerized. Now listen, in order, in order for Hitler to kill, and not only did he kill six million Jews, but he killed millions of others of, of um, handicapped and, and all kinds of people that were not the right race, and he killed many more than just the six million Jews. In order, it took him a long time. Hitler didn't, didn't come to this. He didn't get enough people around him to do this overnight for years and years. In the 30s, they rewrote the Bible. He had a team of people that took everything that was pro-Israel out of the Bible 
so that when they, when they started to go after the Jews, some, but they couldn't use the Bible, so they had a, a, a Nazi Bible. 3,000 churches in Germany in the 30s were, were standing 100% preaching Hitler's message and, 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 and his plan and the entire thing. There were 3,000 churches in Germany in the 30s that made a stance against what Hitler was doing and wanted to stand with Israel, stand with the Jew, and stand against the, the genocide that was taking place. There were 12,000 churches in Germany that said, listen, we're not for him, we're not against him, we're just, we want to stay out of the trouble, we just want to preach the gospel and just, you know, just love each other, and we, we, don't, want, we don't have a dog in the fight, we don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to stand for anything. We don't want to stand against them, we don't want to stand before. Listen, those, ch- those 12,000 churches, where did they stand? They stood for, right? Because you, you don't get to be neutral and stand against. And listen, we can't be one of the 12,000. We, we got we to be a church that's willing to stand for the truth and, and, and stand in love and speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together.